Greetings, traveler. Welcome aboard the crime machine. My name is Victoria, and I will be your pilot for today's mission. Hello, hello, hello. Hi, we're back. I have missed you guys. I'm already sad that I have to do this every other week. I'm already missing doing it every week because this is honestly the highlight of my week, getting to sit down and record the show for you all. How are you doing? I hope you're doing well wherever you are. It is finally, I've just realized now that I'm saying this, that I do like a weather update on a lot of my episodes in the beginning. But it's because in Florida here, it's never, it takes forever to get cool enough to wear a sweater. But now it's like you can wear a sweater outside and not die. And I love that because sweaters are my favorite article of clothing. Sweaters and boots. Since I've been gone, I got on a plane. That was interesting. I've never been on a plane. Not my favorite mode of transportation, if I'm going to be honest with you guys. But I did it and I'm proud of myself. So hopefully I can travel some more places in the future because I had a very good time in Texas and I met a couple of you guys who I know listen to this so hi thank you so much for dealing with my weird socialness I'm so awkward when I meet new people and it has nothing to do with the people it has everything to do with me because my social skills despite me having a podcast where literally all I do is talk I'm not that good at talking What did we talk about last time? Oh, we talked about arguably my favorite. There's nothing to argue. It is my favorite movie franchise of all time. The Conjuring. Specifically the case of the third Conjuring movie. The Devil Made Me Do It with Arnie in his possession. Or possible possession depending on how you want to look at it. Um, I do plan on doing the other two movies um, at some point on this show. Because they're both, all three of the movies are based on real cases. However, I did realize that two of the other, two of the last episodes have been about demonic possession. So we're going to hold off on the demons real quick. For this week, I dived back into my blog archives and I rewatched a series on Amazon called Lore, which is another. It's based off of another fantastic podcast called Lore. Aaron Mankey hosts it. If you've never heard it, it's great. Love it. And there's an episode on there that I watched that's about the case that I wrote about a couple months ago. And it has to do with the case we're going to talk about today. We're going way far back for this one. Last episode, we were in the 80s. This episode, we're going to be in the 1500s, so it's a little bit of a jump, a little bit of a mission, but that's what we do on this podcast, (laughs) and it would definitely be classified as a ye olde crime, which is my favorite type of crime, and I'm also going to just pop a little quick warning on this episode. There is talk of torture in this. There's really no way for me to not bring it up while talking about this woman, so if you a little squeamish, maybe this isn't the episode for you. I'm not going to go like super heavy hard into detail, but I am going to mention some stuff that's a little bit gross. So I totally get it if that's not your thing and you need to skip this week's episode. My feelings will not be hurt. I totally understand. So sit back 
grab a snack and let's travel back or maybe don't grab a snack for this one I don't know do whatever you want <laughs> um, and let's travel back to the 1500s 1560 to be exact in Hungary Countess Elizabeth Bathory de Eched was born August 7, 1560, in a town called Nibator, which is in Hungary. Her father was Baron George VI Bathory of Eched, and her mother was Baroness Anna Bathory. And as you can tell by the numbers in her dad's name, they're basically from a long lineage of really important people in Transylvania at the time. Nirbator, where she was born, is a very small town in Hungary. At the moment, as of 2015, when their last census was done, there's only a little bit over 12,000 people there. And it's really only about like 41 miles long. And it would only take, I looked it up, it would only take you like 40 minutes to drive across the whole thing, which is not a long time, considering that like, to get from the bottom of where I live, the state where I live, to the top, it takes you like six or eight hours. So it's a tiny little quaint town. Her uncle on her mother's side, Stephen Bathory, was actually the king of Poland when she was born. So needless to say, this whole family was a big deal. Elizabeth spent most of her childhood roaming the various castles of the Ased estates. Well, that's hard to say. Say that five times. And I'll post a photo of it on the Instagram. It was basically just a bunch of different castles that were located in the same small little area. And they were all connected by a walkway. So she had a lot of room to run around in. Some kids have playgrounds. Others have castles. A lot of the specifics of her childhood are kind of filled with gray areas because it's the 1560s and documentation was not really a huge deal back then. However, the one thing that is solidified about her childhood is that she suffered from epilepsy. At the time, it wasn't called epilepsy because, again, the thing I'm going to keep saying through this whole episode, it was the 1560s. Medicine and just any sort of knowledge about the human body was very limited. Back then, epilepsy was referred to as falling sickness, and one of the cures that Elizabeth was regularly subjected to was taking the blood of a healthy person. Hopefully it was someone that donated their blood and not taken against their own will. And they would take the blood and they would rub it on the lips of the person who was experiencing the seizure. And hopefully... To them, I guess it worked and made sense in their heads that that would cure something. And I'm not really sure what the statistics of it actually working were. But that's what they did. Another way of getting the blood into a person would be to have them drink it. So they would mix it into a concoction. And also a piece of skull was said to help a person suffering from epileptic seizures or falling sickness seizures. So she also was subjected to that as well. It is thought that Elizabeth's epilepsy was caused by the inbreeding that went on in the Bathory family. 
they had the very Game of Thrones-esque idea that to keep our bloodline pure, we must only marry and have children with people who are in our immediate family. It's also believed that this rubbing of the blood and making her drink the blood was one of the many reasons why she would turn out the way that she did. Now, this next part about her childhood, I'm going to tell you, is a little bit speculative, so take it with a grain of salt, but there were a lot of resources that I read and things that I watched that did talk about this, so I feel like it's only fair if I include it. But it is said that a lot of people in Elizabeth's family taught her how to torture, whether it be by her just witnessing them inflicting pain onto other people, or them actually physically sitting her down and being like, hey, this is how we do this. And it's not a super far-fetched idea, considering that this family is descendants of Vlad the Impaler. On one occasion, she watched someone be burned alive in a bowl. So there's that information. I believe that's called the Brazen Bull, if I remember correctly, because I did read a book on medieval even though this is not the medieval era, um, there are books a bit, in the medieval times, which was before this time period, they love some torture and there are books and documentaries just about all the different types of machines and things that they did. They was twisted and sick back then. There's also, if you live around St. Augustine, there's a medieval torture museum there. I've never been I've heard interesting comments about it, but I digress. Elizabeth did have a lot going for her, though. She was born into royalty, which meant that at some point she was going to have to take the throne. But before she would do that, she would have to get married. Marriages among royalty are thought of as more of a business deal than anything to do with love, which is what real marriage should be based on. So, at the age of 15, Elizabeth was set up to marry a man named Count Ferrain Nasdity, and he was from the Nasdity family, which was also a very high-ranking family politically at that time. So, on May 8th, 1575, Ferrain and Elizabeth would be officially married at a wedding that had about 4,500 people attend. And his wedding gift to her was a castle. She got her very own castle. Even though Ferrain was of a high social ranking, Elizabeth's family were the top dogs. They were even higher than him. They were the highest you can get in their area at the time. So that means that Ferrain had to drop the Nasdity and become a Bathory. He took her last name that day. Girl power. We love to see it. By all accounts, the two got along swimmingly, which is only luck at that point. Because if you're forced to marry each other, usually that wouldn't work out. But luckily for them, it did. Ferrain was the chief of Hungarian troops at the time because there was a war going on between the Hungarians and the Ottomans. So he was rarely ever home, which meant that whenever he was away, Elizabeth got all of his duties. The two would go on to have six children. However, four of them were the only ones that went on to live into adulthood because two of them passed away in infancy very sadly. But her four children were Anastasia, Anna, Katharina, and Paul. It's said that 
Elizabeth was a fantastic mother. She loved being a mother and she loved taking care of all of her children. This was the quintessential high society family. However, Elizabeth was still requiring the blood that she needed to rub on herself to prevent her seizures. And in order to get this, she would need a torture chamber, or at least that's in her head the way that she found that she would need it. So her husband, being the doting husband that he is, decided to build her her very own she shed of pain and built her her own torture chamber in their castle. Along with using blood as a way to quell her seizures, she also thought that it was keeping her youthful. It was a very popular belief back then that the blood, you probably heard this if you've watched vampire movies or things like that, but it is thought that the blood of virgins or like young children is what keeps women young and looking young. I don't know again how they're making the connection but uh, go off I guess. Now in order to get the blood she would need people and this is where the town servant girls will come into play. When you're a monarch you live on a giant estate. You live in a castle with many rooms all of which need cleaning. So what do you do? You have a plethora of servant girls. They cook for you clean for you they draw your bath they go get your horses that I'm presuming that they had because cars didn't exist back then they do everything and this is indeed what Elizabeth used them for however she also saw them as a great resource to get you guessed it blood the way that Elizabeth would procure all of these servant girls is that she would basically send out henchmen into the nearby villages. Think Snow White, the henchmen that went and got her. Um, speaking of Snow White, I put this in my notes. This is a little bit of a tangent. I promise we'll get back on track. When I was a kid, there was a version of Snow White that... I would like to know if anyone listening to this actually knows this version because I brought it up to people in my life and they look at me like I have four heads. The version that I recall as a child is the Snow White is living with the dwarfs. The witch comes to her house and is like, hey, here's this cool comb. The comb is poisoned. Snow White puts it in her hair. She passes out on the floor. The dwarfs come back home from working. They take the thing out of her hair. Snow White wakes up. Everything's fine and dandy. The next day, witch comes back again. She puts a corset on her, ties it too tight, girl passes out. The dwarfs come back home, find her, take the corset off of her, everything's fine. And they're like, hey girl, new rule, you ain't allowed to open the door for nobody when we ain't here. So, third day, Snow White's doing her thing. The witch is like, mm, she's not going to open the door for me. So she throws the apple through the window, Snow White picks it up, eats it, and then that's when the whole, like, casket prince coming and kissing her comes in does anybody else remember this version or am i just going crazy anyways back to these henchmen so elizabeth would send out henchmen into the villages with their terrifying carriages and they would knock on all of the surrounding villagers houses and say hey do you have a daughter and if they said yes they would take the daughter and they would say Countess Elizabeth requires your daughter's service at our castle, at her estate, 
and she's going to work and she'll earn money for your family and she'll come back at some point when she's an adult because mind you many of these girls that she's taking are between the ages of like mm, 10 and like 16 so they would be like of course go earn money for the family don't need to see any proof or paperwork at all that this is legit take our daughter but to be honest that's not their fault they you can't say no to a monarch um, so they would take the daughters and they would take them back to the castle. And at first it would seem very normal. They would do normal chores. Like I mentioned before, draw baths, clean rooms, cook, presumably do yard work, all the, all the things. However, it would get to a point where Elizabeth would get her cravings and she would require more blood so she would invite the servant girls into her chamber, but they would not come out. This continued through her and Frayne's entire marriage until he sadly died on January 4th, 1604 at the age of 48 from an undiagnosed illness. Frayne tended to be the person that kept Elizabeth's torture tendencies to a minimum. When he was around, she wasn't going fully off the deep end. However, now he was gone, which meant that her torturous habits got a little bit, a lot of bit, out of control. Now, at first, when servant girls were going to work at the castle, it wasn't a huge deal. In fact, I'm sure some of the people around there felt honored that their daughter had been picked to go and work at Countess Bathory's estate. However, it got to the point where people were starting to notice that the towns were not filled with young girls anymore. They were slowly disappearing, and everyone whose daughters got sent to this castle never came back. Like clockwork, the big, giant, scary carriages would drive through the surrounding villages, pounding on doors, requesting that the families give up their daughters, and it was all under the ruse that it was helping the country and it was helping Miss Countess and this will be a good thing for your family name, which all of that were lies because I'm assuming that the men that were going out and getting these girls knew exactly what was going to happen to them. Rumors in the villages started to spread about what exactly was going on in Bathory's castle and many people were scared. If they had a daughter, they would do their best to try and hide her whenever the carriages came through because they knew that they probably weren't going to see her again. And that's ridiculously sad. And at some point, Elizabeth ran out of peasant girls. There were no more girls to take from the surrounding villages because she had taken them all. So her next step was to move to lesser known royal families and she would basically go to them with the idea of telling them hey I'm gonna take your daughter and teach her etiquette so that way when we return her to you she will be the perfect noble standing woman who will be ready for marriage 
So just like all of the other peasant girls, these wide-eyed, bright-eyed royalty girls were led into her castle, and they never walked out. So according to court documents and different bodies that were found of these women, girls, not women, they were children, because uh, I said they were between the ages of like 10 and 16, so they're children. Uh, Elizabeth had different varying methods of torture, and I'm presuming that it just depended on what kind of mood she was in. So I have a list of different things that she did, so strap in, folks, because this is absolutely horrifying. So she would make the girl stand outside in freezing cold temperatures while she threw buckets of ice water on them until they froze from hypothermia. She would bite the flesh off of different varying parts of the body. She seemed to really focus on people's faces the most. She burned people with hot tongs. She would stick pins under people's fingernails and their toenails. Another thing she did was she would cover somebody in honey and she would leave them outside and watch the ants and all the bugs eat at them. There was also possible cannibalism. There's nothing to really confirm that, but to be honest, I wouldn't be surprised as she was a biter and known to bite people. So that's just a couple of the absolutely horrific things that she inflicted on not just the girls that she would have come in from outlying communities but anybody who really worked in her castle that she could get her hands on and after her torture sessions were over however long she decided that they may be she would drain the blood of her victims because to her that was the main reason why she was doing that and she would either bathe in it or she would drink it and again, this was said to cure her seizures as well as keep her youthful and young looking. These methods of torture and the pain that she put people through went on for years. And when I mean years, I do mean years because she married Frein in 1575. And spoiler alert, she would not go on to get arrested until 1610. 35 years, 35 years of girls going missing and women, young women getting taken in the night by scary carriages and never coming home. That's a long time to be doing all of this. And when you hear the actual count of the victims at the end, you will see why I fully believe that that is a real number. And just like Elizabeth went through all of the peasant girls, Elizabeth slowly began to run out of all of the lesser nobility that she was taking in. And she was a queen, after all, which means to her, queen should have the best. So she had the boldness and the audacity to start taking girls and teens from the higher-ranking nobility that were closer to to where she stood in society. And while all this is going on, the families of all of these girls who have gone missing are constantly going to the courts and filing complaints. They're saying, hey, our daughters are going missing in large quantities. Many of them are going into this castle and none of them are coming out. 
We want to know where our kids are, as any parent would. And social status back then was everything. If you had no status, nobody really cared what you had to say, which is awful. The courts would just kind of shrug and say, okay, yeah, we'll look into it. I'm putting air quotes around look into it. But nothing ever got looked into. Because Elizabeth was that high in power that she could do basically whatever she wanted. And there were no consequences. However, the courts did start to listen when the daughter of a very high monarch went missing. This daughter was sent under the same ruse that all of the other nobility girls were sent under, that she was being sent to Elizabeth's castle to shadow her to learn manners and how to become a lady. And she did indeed go to Elizabeth's castle, but like every other girl that was sent in there, she never came out. the name of Istvan Magyari, I believe I'm saying that correctly. He was a Lutheran minister in the town, and he was the first one to ever publicly condemn Elizabeth. He went to the Hungarian authorities and basically said, hey, I don't like how y'all are ignoring all of these people going missing. We need to make an investigation about this, and we need to do it now. So in 1610, a full-fledged investigation and a team was made by a man named King Matthias II. And he collected a bunch of people and said, Hey, I need you to go to her castle and you need to investigate her and you need to collect enough evidence for us to be able to arrest her properly. Most of the evidence came from people living around the castle and... Between the entire team, they were able to collect over 300 witness statements from not only people who lived around the castle, but people who also worked in the castle. Many of the people that they interviewed as witnesses recounted stories that they had heard from people who had actually worked in the castle. They also talked to people who were former employees of her that said hey, we actually witnessed her full-on just murder people in front of our eyes. And in a regular trial nowadays, you're lucky enough to get one witness and one witness statement. But they were able to collect 300, which is some impressive investigative work, if you ask me. And after a short amount of time of investigation... On December 30th, 1610, while Elizabeth Bathory was sat down to a lavish dinner with, I think, herself, because she was the only one living there, Elizabeth Bathory was arrested on suspicion of killing over 600 girls. Yep, you heard me right. That is a three-digit number. Not 60, not 6, 600. Elizabeth's trial would begin in January, January 2nd, 1611 to be exact. And not only was she being tried, but she also had some cohorts that were also being tried along with her. They were some other servants that I'm not really sure how they also didn't get killed but I'm assuming that they were servants from when 
her and Frayne first moved into the castle together. So they were thought to have assisted her in all of her torture chamber whatever. She kind of irritates me <laughs> if you can't tell. The names of her other helpers were Dorotia Semites, Ilona Joe, Katrina Benikia, and Janos Ujivare. I apologize. I tried my hardest. I even listened to pronunciations of those and I'm I'm trying and I apologize if I got them wrong. But those four people were suspected of assisting Elizabeth in all of her things. The four of them were put through really long and grueling interrogation sessions, most of them consisting of ironically various torture methods to get them to spill the beans about what their boss had been up to for the last 35 years and eventually they did provide a lot of information to I keep wanting to say detectives but I don't even know if they had that term back then so they provided enough information to the courts to where they felt like they had sufficiently gotten what they needed out of them and so three of them were executed and one of them was put into life imprisonment. Elizabeth on the other hand she was a countess after all which means they couldn't just execute her. Execution was never on the table for her. So the courts discussed and their final agreement was that on January 25th 1611 Elizabeth was to be locked in a room of her castle and she was never to come out. There was going to be a guard standing next to the door 24-7 to make sure that she never escaped. They boarded up all of the windows to make sure that she could have no access to sunlight. There was a slit in the door to where they would put her food through. And that was how she was supposed to spend the rest of her days. This is how it was put onto paper and how it was said to the courts and how she was supposed to spend her last couple of whatever years she had left in her. This is how the courts said that she was supposed to spend the rest of her days. However, it is said that the guards let her out every once in a while to take a walk in the castle grounds and just to get some fresh air. Is it fair? No, but... What have we learned from the world and crime is that if you have money and you have social status, you can basically do whatever you want. However, on August 20th, 1614, Elizabeth told her door guard that her hands were feeling particularly cold that day and she wasn't feeling well. The guard replied, it's nothing, mistress, just go lie down. And on August 21st, 1614, a day after she complained about her Frosty the Snowman hands, Elizabeth Bathory, at the age of 54, was found dead in her bed in her room. So now it's time for my thoughts on this case. So the first time I had ever heard about this case was in like 2014, 2015. It was on Lore, the podcast that I mentioned at the beginning of this. And 
when I first read the victim count, it really made me question the validity of this whole story because I think like any of us would think, how could someone kill over 600 people and no one do anything about it? But the more I've researched this case and the more I've looked into it and the more that I've watched information on it, I can thoroughly say that I do believe that the victim count was that high, if not higher. Because if you think about it, it's not like the time span was short. If you had told me that she had killed over 600 people in the span of mm, like a year, I would have been like, okay, maybe that's a little far-fetched. That's impossible. But this went on for 35 years. That is the longest spree of any crime I have ever heard, especially this far back. It's completely plausible considering her standing in society and how much power she had over everybody that this just went swept under the rug for a long time because she had the money and she had the standing and if you got money you can get away with anything. I do think that her family and just the entire situation of the country at her time considering there was a war happening had a lot to do with her mental state that paired with her epilepsy which was not being properly treated and could not be properly treated because it was the 1500s I think all of that was a serious impact on how she developed and how she turned out because she was probably surrounded by violence 24 7 this is not me making excuses for her by the way I'm just I always go into cases trying to figure out why people turn out the way that they did and why they did what they did because that's why I'm interested in true crime mainly is the psychological side of it. And if you look at her upbringing, it's not surprising that she grew up to be demented. As far as her punishment goes for this crime, I'm... Because I have a very difficult time with execution and the death penalty... Because in my head, if you're like Ted Bundy or Richard Ramirez, just get rid of you. You know what I'm saying? We don't need... You're wasting air and space and I. you can't... When you're that demented, there's no way that you can be rehabilitated. However, comma, any other situation, I do not like the death penalty and just the whole idea of it kind of gives me the creeps and I... I just think killing people, I'm going to quote someone from another podcast. I'm going to quote Rachel Fairburn from All Killer No Filler. And she says that killing people has no place in a civilized society. And that I do agree with on that point. So I, while I would like to sit here and say that I do think that she should have gotten the same treatment as her cohorts did, the ones that were executed. There's a part of me that's always going to be iffy about the death penalty and things like that. So I honestly do think now that I'm sitting here and saying this out loud, 
being locked in a room for the rest of your life with like no access to anything and anybody is probably the worst kind of punishment you can have and you just have to live in your own head forever so yeah i was on okay yeah i'm on i'm on board with that punishment i'm okay with it i like that now we're good good job courts (laughs) this is one of my favorite cases to learn about ye old crimes specifically because the old eras like that it it makes for some good and interesting true crime stories because they're usually so outlandish and grandiose because there's no security cameras there's no way to prove that anybody's doing anything you could literally it's like the wild west you could literally just do anything you wanted and there's no way anybody could catch you because by the time anyone found out about what you did you'd be in the next town over on a horse like it it was so easy to commit crimes back then which is why considering the amount of time that she had her standing in society in just the lack of policing, it's fully plausible to me that she killed upwards of 600 people. I do think Fadane dying is what sent her over the edge a little bit. He seemed to be her happy place. And even though they were an arranged marriage, they seemed to really love each other and love their little family. And he showed her love like he let her have all of the duties while he was gone to war he in his own little twisted way showed his affection by building her a torture chamber and I think that if he had been around for longer I don't think as many people would have gone missing I think she always would have been stealing people from areas around the town but I don't think it would have gone to the extent that it did go to and I honestly think that I don't think she ever would have been caught I don't think he would have allowed that to happen so I just would have liked to see how things would have turned out if if he had lived for a little bit longer in this case all around is just sad and disturbing these poor people and losing their children because they are children they were some of them were as young as 10 years old that just leave and never come back and the entire towns were just daughterless for years and no one did anything and that type of stuff irritates me when and it's happened it's happened in older cases it's happened in modern cases where these families of either people who are of lower social ranking or of who are minorities just everyone who's marginalized by society tries to go and get help and because they're not of social standing or because they are not Caucasian nobody gives a crap and nobody listens and they don't put enough effort into trying to find people who are missing if you don't have money or you're not white and it makes me sad and it it's crazy how stuff like that happened that far back And it's still happening now in 2021. Mind-boggling. You'd think we would have figured that out by now, but... You know, world's crazy. The universe is a crazy place. This is a crazy time we live in, everybody. (laughs) 
I do highly recommend listening or watching, sorry, not a podcast, <laughs> visually watching the episode of Lore, the TV show. Um, it was turned into a TV show in 2018. There's two seasons. Each season has about like six episodes and they're each like 45 minutes, an hour long. The first season is set up very much like the podcast where they have people acting out stuff and doing dialogue and it's scripted. But Aaron Mankey, the guy who narrates the podcast, jumps in and will give you information every now and then. The second season is just scripted and there's no Aaron Mankey and it's just like a scripted TV show. And a lot of people did not like that. They were like, they, like the Amazon reviews are horrible for the second season. I'm presuming he's not in it because... He got too busy. That man makes like 27,000 podcasts. He's on another level. So I think he just was too busy to do it, which is fully understandable. Um, but I liked the second season. I think it's just because I do acting stuff that it didn't really bother me. But I can see how people were like, I started watching this because it was like the podcast and now it's not at all. So I get it. Um but the episode is called um, Mirror Mirror, the one that's based on the Elizabeth Bathory story. It's season two, episode two. The actors in it are phenomenal. They do a great job. And like I said, it does get a little gory at times. And I'm really hoping that she didn't do this stuff like they do in the show. But again, who's to know? It happened in the 1500s. But... The costumes are great. The dialogue's great. The story's scary. It It's lit really well. I love the music. So I highly recommend not only checking out that episode, but just checking out the whole lore series. It's super fun. So it was all of these things and all of these sort of cases that would make Elizabeth go on to be the inspiration for a lot of things in pop culture. And she would go down in history as being... The Blood Countess. Alright, so that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. I always do appreciate you taking time out of your life to listen to me ramble and tell you a little story. Um... I know I say this in like every episode, but you're always going to hear it from me. I love making this show. It is my favorite thing. It's, I have not been creatively fulfilled like this in a long time. So I, yeah, it's been my favorite thing. And thank you guys so much for tuning in every week. It just, it means the world to me. And just y'all even clicking like on the Instagram post or just even turning it on and listening to it for a couple minutes. It just means the world. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Uh, I, in case anybody missed it from the last episode, I'm going to be doing this every other week because I now have, including this job of doing the podcast, I now have three jobs because I'm going to be an elf in a Christmas thing and I'm going to so it's gonna holidays are gonna be very busy because I have my regular day job and then that and then I have the podcast so it'll be every other week until January and then January is when things are gonna calm down and I can hopefully fingers crossed put out all the good vibes in the universe I can get back to doing this every Friday because I already miss it but 
I did realize that I can't have three jobs and put out quality content for you guys because that's what y'all deserve. Y'all are the best listeners. So yeah, I will not be here next Friday, but the Friday after that I will be back. And to give you a little sneak peek, I've been on a real Wild West kick, which means we're going to be talking about Bonnie and Clyde the next episode. And just like I that's the thing about having a podcast is that you could just talk about your favorite cases and so that's what I'm gonna do um but as always um you guys are more than welcome to suggest topics because I always love learning about new things like the Texarkana phantom uh, that was a suggested a viewer suggested that Anna Marie who I met in Texas and she was dressed as Mothman and she's real cool um she suggested that to me and I had never heard of it before. So yeah, if you guys have a case from where you live or one that you would like to hear on the show that we'll take a little time travely mission back to, doesn't matter how far back it goes, we can do it. Please feel free to uh, message the show. Uh, we are crime, we, me, I, I am crime traveling podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and uh, my personal Instagram is at it's Victoria Triple. I post memes on my story uh, and selfies and stuff. It's normal Instagram behavior. So if you want to follow me on there. And as always, I would love to hear what you have to say about this case. Because it's widely speculatory, this whole thing. It's, it's just full of, because it happened so long ago. The further back you go, the less documentation and real proof of there is of anything. But she was a real woman, and she did murder a lot of people. That is a fact. So, yeah, feel free to let me know what you think about this, because this case is nuts. All right, so I will see you in two weeks to talk about Bonnie and Clyde. But until then, have a wonderful day, evening, or night, or whenever you're listening to this. And I will see you next crime. Bye-bye.